Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. and recording episode 14 we've made it past lucky number 13 which i'd been getting ready to get by for a couple weeks being the baseball player that i used to be um but again episode 14 how you how you feeling about that dustin i am uh 14 episodes deeper into this than i thought we would go at the beginning yeah (laughs) well we knew we'd do our test one but man episode two was a was a surprise. No. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing has been uh, uh, pretty raucous so far. We've been we've been uh, tearing right along. Yeah, um, you know, we set a wicked pace of one a week, but we're making it, and uh, it's been fun. I actually yeah. like doing this. It, you know, I get to tell my wife, "Hey, we're recording today," so she knows we're working. <laughs> <laughs> so, but joining us today, a veteran of the U.S. Army. Spent three years in Afghanistan, uh, the first being 2011 to 2012, uh, then decided, you know what, I think I'm going to go back uh, after coming home. We'll talk about that in in a little bit. Uh, It was an Intel analyst, now runs the uh, nonprofit Veterans Off Grid in New Mexico, helping veterans to have a, should we say, a a bit softer landing, a a reintegration into society can be found at veteransoffgrid.org, but please welcome specialist Ryan Jay. Thank you. Hey, Ryan. Hey. Thanks for coming. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, we've uh, second second straight week uh, guest from New Mexico. Dustin, you're, you're living the high life there. Hey, man. Uh, you know, get them while you can, right? <laughs> <laughs> so before the, uh, the storms start coming in in the winter and messing with your guys' internet, right? Uh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be good. I, uh, I think this might be a summertime podcast. We'll see. <laughs> now nah, just bring in guest hosts, you know, be like celebrities and no one will miss you. No. <laughs> oh, that's so true. <laughs> I kid, I kid. We'll always miss you. So, but. You, well, Ryan, uh, let's, uh, let's get it started. How, uh, how did you, um, uh, where'd you grow up and, and how'd you end up, how'd you get up, uh, how'd you end up getting involved in the army? Sure. Uh, my dad was with IBM, so he jokingly says it stands for I've Been Moved. So we started in Michigan until I was two and a half, and then we went to Texas for six months, went to California for seven years, and then when I was 11, we went to North Carolina. Um, I attended college at Appalachian State University, but before that, I, I took the ASVAB. Scored a 99 on the ASVAB, so I had everybody calling me. Um, and of all the jobs I could have chose, uh, I was the most excited about the infantry officer position because I asked the recruiters who gets promoted first, you know, fastest, um, Air Force, Army, Marines? Oh, definitely the Army. Okay, cool. I'm interested in the Army then. And, then they, and I said, which job gets promoted the fastest? And they're like, oh, definitely infantry. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Now, they didn't tell me it's because they either die or they hate it and they switch out and so they have to always replenish um, the ranks and uh, luckily my dad oh. 
small detail, <laughs> small detail. My dad, he's a very wise man. And he said, um, he knew that if he told me I couldn't go, then it would be, I was off to the races and signing the paperwork and I'm going to be joining the military. But he said, what you're doing is honorable. Um, I respect it. And I can't tell you no, because I went to Vietnam. Now he didn't make a deal about the fact that he was drafted. Um, but he said, you know, I'll pay for half your college if you just um, go to college for one year. And if you like it, cool. If you don't, you have my complete blessing to go into the military. And I thought that was a fair offer. And I went to, the co I went to college and didn't look back. Um, I eventually dropped out of college to do volunteer work in Mexico and Panama and different countries. Um, I started a laser tag business um, when I got back. And that was a lot of fun. That was in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I became a bartender after that. And my friend came in, he was a parachute rigger in the Army Reserve. And he was, he was telling me about what he was doing. And I was like, wait, 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 you're a civilian and military? How does that work? Nobody, nobody, nobody mentioned that in the recruiting office. And so he was telling me all the benefits. And this was in 2008 middle of two wars. Yeah. And I was like, this is awesome. I mean, the bonus is like 25 grand. And I was like, sign me up. And so I walked into the recruiting office, took my ASVAB again, got a 97. So I got dumber as I aged. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the recruiter's like, I've never seen anybody get such a high score, you know, and um, what do you want to do? I said, Intel analysts. And he said, wow, we don't have that available. We have MP and we have uh, PSYOP. And I was like, no, no, I want to do Intel. I'm sorry, we don't have that position. I said, okay, I'll see you later. He said, wait, wait. And he called, he's called somebody and he got me an Intel's position. And I left uh, April 2008, um, deployed in 2011 and 12. And um, I liked it, um, but when I came back, I didn't do so well. And which is why I went back to Afghanistan after about nine months of being home. Just in terms of um, kind of digging down for, for any civilians, and I, hate, and I hate that term, anyone who hasn't been deployed, um, was it just coming back to society and reintegrating? Was it worrying about your friends still over like in terms of when you said you didn't do well how how would you describe that well um i came back home and i was carrying a lot of guilt i went over as a psychological operations specialist because um, my unit psyoped me when i joined them as a as an intel analyst they started working on me already and they were like hey if you become a PSYOP specialist, then you're gonna know what we do better and you can do better Intel analyst work for us. And I was like, oh, that's, that makes sense. And I it's went to crap. Fort Dix. <laughs> yeah, it's a trap for real. Um, so I went to Fort Dix, um, which is like the tick capital of the world. Um, and came back, I enjoyed both MOSs, but I was sl slotted as the, as a PSYOP guy. And they were gonna send me to um, Salerno to replace people leaving for R&R &R, and I was the last male in the headquarters unit. Um, and at that point, females couldn't go 
into a combat situation. So I was the only one left. And so I, I had actually injured my back. Uh, I told the first sergeant, hey, I just want to be straight up with you. My back, I don't, nobody can tell me what's wrong with it. It hurts uh, a lot. Um, my biggest fear is that if I'm deployed and we're in a firefight and I'm dragging someone or someone's dragging me, um, you know, I'm going to be a casualty and, uh, and, or I'm going to make someone else a casualty and you're going to have to evac two or three. And that makes evac so much harder if you have more than one casualty. Um, and so I said, I'm a good soldier. I'll do what you say. I just wanted to give you the heads up on my physical condition. They talked it over. They decided not to send me and someone else volunteered to take my place on that mission. And when they were out, they got hit by an IED, the vehicle that I would have been on. It was an MP and he had a working dog with him. Um, he had a family, he had a kid and um, none of the people in the vehicle survived. And so a week later, the first sergeant came and he said, I'm so glad we didn't send you. Oh my God, you know, um, you wouldn't have made it. And so I came back with that guilt. Um, and when you're in a combat zone for nine months to a year or even longer, you've changed and you haven't, you don't even realize you've changed because you still see yourself as the same person. But when you get back, I mean, the first, the first experience I remember in the airport was walking by a bar and there was two grown men fighting of who was the better quarterback. And oh man, they knew the stats and they knew, you know, everything about the players that they thought was the best. And they were about, it looked like they were about to fight. They were in each other's faces and yelling, probably drunk. But I remember thinking like, do they even know that my unit is still over there? Cause I came back as an advanced uh, team to, to set up the, um, the unit for their return. The second conversation I remember hearing, and this was, you know, 2012, the Jersey Shore was really popular and Snooki and all this kind of stuff. There was five women and they were like, ah, can you believe what Snooki did to her hair? Oh my God, that hairstylist should be shot. Mm. And I remember thinking like, I just came from a place where people are being shot. And my mom greeted me at the airport and she told me later that she didn't even recognize me. Like the light had left my eyes. Mm. Uh, so I was dealing with some things that I didn't even know I was dealing with. It didn't, it took about three months for me to realize I was in trouble mentally. Um, I wasn't thinking clearly. Um, and what is a soldier supposed to do? Oh, you go to the VA. Well, I went to the VA, but it was a five month wait to see a primary care physician. We were in the middle of two wars, overwhelmed. And that was when uh, the whole controversy came. Oh, just postpone them three months, postpone them three months, three months, three months. And so I went to see the doctor and he said, and I don't blame him because he was a volunteer. He was just trying to help. And he said, I'm really sorry. I'm late for a golf tournament. Can you give me your top three problems? And I looked at my list of 14 things that I was dealing with. I picked three random things and I said, okay, these. And I said, uh, now what? Like, am I going to the referral 
next week? And he said, no, uh, we can get you in about three months from now. And I remember thinking like, that's not even guaranteeing I'm going to get better. Right. Maybe that doctor's going to be late for a golf tournament. Maybe he cancels. Then what? And I know my friends, they had like 10, sometimes 20 medications they were taking. They couldn't even remember which ones they'd taken, which ones they hadn't. On the labels, it says may cause suicide. They couldn't go to college. They couldn't hold a job. I felt like I was on that path, that if I continued, I was going to be drooling on myself. And I needed to find a way to come back to who I was, but I didn't know how. Um, I was trapped. Two days later, my friend called me. We had graduated uh, top of our class in Intel school. Um, she said, you're my top choice. I've got a job for you in Afghanistan. Do you want to come back? I said, please get me out of this country. I don't know why I can't be a civilian anymore. I don't know what's wrong with me. That's the last place my mind was healthy. I was on a plane to Afghanistan within two weeks. Spent a year and a half there. And it was really interesting because when I went over the walls of Bagram, it's about a nine mile radius um, of these giant cement walls. This time I had a window on the plane um, because the first time I went over, you're in a um, you know, C-130 and there's no windows. You have no idea what's going on. And the Air Force guys, they love to mess with us. So of course they turn on the, the intercom and they're like, they play this like warning sign, warning, 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 and then they do these banks and you're just like, oh God, we're gonna die. And we just, you know, you land and... Um, <laughs> That's just good fun. <laughs> and, yeah, for the Air Force. Not for the guy who was the first, you know, the first time deploying, I had no idea what was going on. Um, but when I went over the walls the second time, like I remember like, like getting emotional, like I was home and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Mm. Why do I feel home in a war zone in a nine mile radius, almost like a prison? Like I can't leave. What's wrong with me? Uh, and I, I remember my friends, they were like on Facebook, they're like, I miss Afghanistan, I miss Iraq. What do we miss? It's not the war, it's not losing our friends, it's not, it's not the accommodations, <laughs> it's not the food. What is it? You know, and I started think that started me thinking like, you know, why do we want to go back to war? Why is that? Um, what seems like our only option? And it's, it's at that point that I saw a music video and it changed my life. And um, which one? It was a uh, five, five finger death punch, wrong side of heaven. And if you get a chance to watch it, it's about five soldiers that go overseas, they, something happens, they go back and it flashes statistics across the screen. There was 300,000 that were homeless at that time. 42% um, more, likely, more likely to get divorced. There was, um, at the very end, the screen faded to black and it says, by the time you get done watching this video, another veteran has decided to end his own life. And I was right there. If I didn't go back to Afghanistan, I don't think I'd be here talking to you. I had lost my will to live somewhere 
on that return. And so when I saw that video, like I broke down, I was just like, there are others just like me. I'm not this crazy or, or um, abnormal soldier. There's other soldiers who are struggling. And I dedicated my life at that point to trying to solve and fix that problem. And want to give a quick shout out to Five Finger Death Punch because they have been strong supporters of both the military and law enforcement. And in this day and age to still be that strong supporter, hats off. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I belong to a lot of police pages and it's all, you know, they're, they're very generous to the military and police. Um, Those guys are active. And so Oh, go ahead, Dustin. Oh, so so that happened to that happened to you while you were in Bagram, right? Yes, I was in Bagram uh, both both times. I did go to uh, Kaya, which is right outside of Kabul. Yeah, and uh, I was actually teaching Sayat to Afghans um, on a very basic level, and it was really that was really rewarding um, because the Taliban were. were um, they were way better at PSYOP because they didn't have to tell the truth. They could just lie right. at whatever they wanted to do. That does, uh, does make the playing field a little less even. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it, in terms of going back, like you said, you know, you felt like you were home. Um, did you kind of feel that when you got off the plane or was it a slow thing or just, I mean, I, I remember tearing up when I saw the walls. I don't know. To this day, I don't really know why. Um, and it was just raw emotion. Um, maybe it was relief um, that I was back, that I wasn't um, trapped anymore in what I had been trapped in, struggling to try to figure out my way home um, in the United States, uh, trying to get back to who I was. Um, I don't know, it was just this raw emotion that came over me when I saw the walls. Um, and I, pro to be honest with you, I probably would still be there mm. if the contract wasn't cut and there was a general who decided that he didn't like civilians um, on his base. And he just said, everybody out. And there was a British general. And so we all went home. Um, but it was almost like a forced um, decision. I'm not sure I would have ever felt ready because I never wanted to be in that space again mm. with no will to live. Yeah. Um, and not knowing how to fix it. Um, I don't know if I would have ever felt ready, but because of um, the work of Five Finger Death Punch and what they did and how it affected me, I was able to create a catalyst for myself to put my energy into another mission, to helping veterans who were like me, who were lost, who were, knowing that they were destined for more, but not knowing how to get there. Um, 
And that's why I created Veterans Off Grid to give those veterans a place that they can feel normal, that they can feel supported, that they can feel um, on an active road to healing, not necessarily with medications and drugs, but more of a natural um, psychological makeup. Um, you know, just being around other veterans is very helpful because we understand each other. We can talk to each other. Uh, we know how um, we know how to talk to each other, and we know how to bring them out of the of the pit that they find themselves in. Sometimes. Well, and let me take a moment here. You know, we've talked about on a lot of other uh, shows and episodes and also in, in the documentary of trying to get civilians to understand in terms of coming home. But I want to kind of take a moment and see if we can reverse engineer this and, and look at it from the aspect of what you were looking for when you went back and see if that's something we can build off and, and probably are building off a little in uh, with your with veterans off grid. Um, would you say, and, and I'm just doing this to start the conversation, not to, to sure. put words in your mouth, but is some of it, like we were talking before we came uh, on, you know, in terms of like I told my wife, there was something at the academy when I was at the academy of knowing what I was going to be wearing every day. My schedule was planned out. Like the second I went into my first class on the first day, my schedule was planned out for months. Um, is the structure part of it that, you know, just, just having that structure again compared to being home? Um, what are the things that you looked for to see if we can reverse engineer that? So I wanted to <clears throat> make it as much, uh, as much about the military and the military feeling that, that we missed, but also eliminating the stuff we hated. Like, why would I want to move a stack of sandbags four feet, sweep under it, and then move them back? <laughs> Tell me, what does, that, what does that do for the world? Like, sure, it occupies you and maybe does some strength training, but doesn't do anything productive. That's for sure. So we try to leave that stuff out, the yelling, the, uh, the people who get advanced um, just because they've been in longer than you and they're in charge, and, but their ideas are they're not going to work, whatever. Um, we try to leave that stuff out. Um, the things that we concentrate on are the camaraderie, building that camaraderie, keeping that camaraderie, helping each other. Um, you know, a lot of us volunteered to go into the military because we wanted to serve. So how do I incorporate that into Veterans Off Grid? Because that was a primary driving force. So every Tuesday we have this thing called Tuesday where we go out into the community and we help each other and we um, help people who are less fortunate um, uh, or any, anybody who's doing a project that will help the community at large, whether it's building a chicken coop or helping a single mother before winter, get her firewood cut and her building done. Um, you know, things like that. And it's actually caught on and uh, it's, it's growing. There's civilians who, who are coming to Veterans Off Grid. It's not just a veteran thing. And, and the Mesa where we're located is, is, is high desert, 7,000 feet elevation. It looks just like Bagram. And we actually have, I think, one of the highest percentage of veterans per population 
in the country. And I think the reason is because it's rugged and it's hard survival wish survival wise. Um, it's a harsh environment. We have harsh winters um, and we have very little water. So, you know, it's a, it's a challenging place to be. And I think that draws people, you know, who are uh, former military. Um, so just the elevation of my piece of land, I look for something that had defensive capabilities. Why? Because veterans think defensively. It's not that we're starting a militia or, uh, or anything like that, but if you are high up and you have the high ground, now you can see what's coming. It gives a natural sense of peace, a natural sense of security, and you don't even know it's working in your mind. It's just passively helping you. Um, Earthships are something that we build. Um, and, you know, I'm probably supposed to say Earthship inspired buildings, but Michael Reynolds was a genius. Uh, he created houses out of tires and trash and glass bottles and things like that. And they have no bills. They produce their own power, they produce their own water through rain catch and filtration systems. Um, it uses it four times throughout the house. So when you shower, when you wash your dishes, it goes down the drain. It, uh, it feeds the plants that you're growing inside your house that you're taking care of. Um, from there, the water goes into your toilet and the plants have already filtered it. Um, and so you flush with water that's dirty, but it doesn't look dirty, doesn't smell dirty, it's clean. And it goes outside to the septic system in which you can grow fruit trees in the middle of the desert off of your septic system overflow. And it heats and cools itself, so you don't need an HVAC system, so you're not replacing it, you're not maintaining it. Um, it's a passive heating, and you know, you guys were talking about the harsh winters here in Taos. You can get up down to negative 30. Not on an Earthship. Earthship stays 70 degrees all year round without any kind of HVAC system, without any kind of fires that you're burning. It just works. You can grow lemon trees. You can grow banana trees, little miniature banana trees in your house. Have fresh bananas every morning. Um, it uh, is built with recycled materials, produces its own power, produces its own water, produces its own food. It'll come to me. But they're pretty remarkable buildings. And if you take a house that's taking care of the veteran, even if the MP goes off, even if your electric grid is shut off by a hurricane, you still have power. You still have water. You still have everything that you need. That passively helps a veteran to, oh, I'm taken care of. No matter what happens, this house is going to take care of me. Um, but they're very, very, uh, it takes a lot of very um, hard manual labor to build because you're building with tires and you fill it with dirt, about three wheelbarrows per tire of dirt, and then you sledgehammer it. If you ever sledgehammered all day, that, yeah. <laughs> you're exhausted. But you know what? When you're in basic training, what happens? You sleep, even though you only have four hours, because you are exhausted. You're around 60 snoring dudes, and you're dead to the world. Okay. What is the biggest problem that veterans say they have when they get back? They can't sleep. They've got guilt. They've got 
um, you know, loss of friends. They try to self-medicate to try to sleep. Well, we sleep pretty good because we're exhausted all the time. <laughs> so if you sleep for like a week, um, I mean, not a week, but like eight hours every day for a week, your brain starts to heal. You're no longer feeling off. When we're veteran, you know, when we're in the military, we're, we're running every morning, we're working out every morning, we're eating good nutritious food. When we get back, we're sitting on the couch watching TV, at least I did. You know, I need a break. I've worked yeah. for a year, turned the tube on, you know, and, and it got to the point where that's all I was doing from seven in the morning to 11 at night. And like, where did they go? Um, and then I was eating Cheetos and unhealthy food. And no, no wonder I felt different. I didn't feel good. Um, so we take those things that the military gave us and we expound on them and we, we make, I wouldn't say make them, but they, they end up feeling normal. Um, when we're building a house for another veteran, every veteran has 55 hours of labor per month to help the next person, to help the community grow. And now we're doing things together. You know, when we come back, everything you gotta get a house payment. It's your responsibility or a rent. It's your responsibility. Um, nobody's gonna pay that for you. Nobody's gonna buy you clothes. Nobody's gonna pay your cell phone bill. Nobody's gonna do. You know, everything is on you. Um, at Veterans Off Grid, we're kind of a group. Again, in the military, you are a group. You work out together. You go eat together. You learn together. You do your job together. You go home. Yeah, you get some alone time unless you're in the barracks and then you're getting together, right? So we try to replicate as much of the good things from the military that we can. And then we leave the stuff that we didn't like. Nobody liked being in the barracks. So that's why we don't have barrack housing. People are like, oh, you can just do a really long house and put them all in there. Nope, I want everybody to have their own kitchen, their own bathroom, their own living space so they can retreat. Community is tough to live in. Um, especially when you don't have a rank structure where you're in trouble and losing pay and whatever as an enforcement. Um, so if they have some issues that they need to sort out, they can go right into their house, have some alone time, come back, rejoin community. Ah, welcome back, you know, and, and they fe it feels like family. It feels normal. It feels good. Well, yeah, and like you're saying with the sleep, when I think I – think that society places too much value on the people who only need to sleep four hours a night and work and we leave out the part where they all die in their 60s you know because they're not getting good yeah. sleep um yeah. you know I, i've gone to the sleep doctor and and i was one of those people who only four hours a night and not good sleep and now it's up to seven and a half and 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 sleep is such an underrated thing that people don't look at in terms of being able to get healthy again you know, we'll yes. go on all these vacations and everything else to try and find ourselves. It's like, have you tried sleeping? <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and part of that is stress, you know, and, and they've got all these bills and, and veterans um, are typically bad with money. Um, that's why there's so many disreputable businesses, disreputable businesses around a military base because they're like, ah, you know, that's our prey. Come on in. Payday um, loans and, and, uh, yeah. And uh, what, Ford Mustangs? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. 
<laughs> I don't even want to throw him under the bus right now, but um, <laughs> there was a guy, I pro he probably won't see this. Uh, there was a guy on my deployment and he's like, oh man, I can buy a Boss 302 and it's only going to cost me 45 grand. That was his entire deployment money. Now I gave him an opportunity to buy into a fourplex deal that we were doing with a friend of mine. And he could have had two fourplexes at $20,000 a piece combined with the bank's money and sold for almost, oh, it was two and a half times his investment he would have made back. A year later, he's like, oh man, I blew the engine, I need new tires, and, oh, and I'm like, dude, I gave you a chance. So we teach Financial Peace University from Dave Ramsey um, to try to get veterans out of debt, to look at money differently. But when you have no bills, now you can focus on what you were made for, what your destiny is. Most people in America, we say, hey, I got a thousand dollar a month rent. I got, you know, kids to feed. I got this to do. And now I'm all stress, stress, stress. Yeah. You have your housing covered. You're growing your own food. You've got your own energy. You've got your own water and it's clean. It doesn't have fluoride. It doesn't have chlorine. It's literally from the rain sifted over gravel so it mineralizes and it's fresh and pure um you don't have a flint michigan where you're drinking lead or anything like that and you don't have any bills so when you have no bills and you're like wow now what and all you have to do is do 35 hours per month to help someone to help the next guy pull him up or the next girl um now it work doesn't work's not work Work's a gift. Work is something that you're giving someone else because you've been helped. You've been um, invited into this family. And now we're just passing it on and we're passing, paying it forward. And so we ask every veteran um, who comes to Veterans Off Grid, if you had no bills, what would you do with your life? How would you impact people around you? How would you impact the world? What would you do to make it a better place? I don't want them to answer right away. I want them to think about it. And when they find that, maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's a mechanic. They love cars. Maybe it's um, uh, growing food. Whatever it is, Veterans Off Grid tries to empower them to make that happen so that when they are they have no bills and now they're living their best life you know we asked them you know what would you do the other part of that question is what would you do that you wouldn't even need to get paid for that you'd wake up early with anticipation that you couldn't even wait to get to wherever you are to wherever your your job entails whatever you wanted to do you wouldn't even need to get paid because you have no bills what would it be and when they answer then we try to empower them to do it. And if they're living their best life and they have no bills, and they're surrounded by their peers, they're gonna start getting better. They're not gonna start thinking about how do I check out of this? They're living what they've dreamed about, but couldn't do because they were trapped in a debt cycle or, or whatever. Um, so we try to bring that energy um, to each veteran who comes. And, and not all are ready to heal. Um, we had one person come and he told me he had no addictions and we just want to know so we can help you. And he came and he was a fifth, fifth a day. 
whiskey. And I'm like, look, I'm going to be your enemy, not by my choice, but you're going to make me your enemy. And I don't want that to happen. So either we fix it and we, we help you and we jump in the trenches with you and we, we, we help you give that up or you move on until you're ready to come back. And he's, he's more than welcome to come back. Um, he left stealing the beds and um, peeing all over the walls and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I'm hoping that one day he'll realize like what was there was awesome. And I just hope that he hits that point before it's too late. Well, and that's, you know, I'll talk to people who have a family member going through drug addiction or, and you know, it sounds callous when I say it, but it's like, there's not much we can do until they're ready for help. Like right. you need to want the help. And, uh, you know, like you're saying, sometimes they're, they're not ready, but that, that was leading into a question I have of, do you, obviously every person is different, but do you see a rhythm to when people come in to, to how, you know, to the, the stages that they go through or, you know, sure. so we're, we're just beginning. Um, we're building out our capacity. Um, you know, I got tired of watching my friends commit suicide, to be honest with you. I could have put together my business plan and waited for grants and I would still be waiting. Um, I took my cue from, um, uh, that movie called uh, Field of Dreams. If you build it, they'll come. So I bought 50 acres and I was like, you know what? I'm out here in the middle of the desert by myself and here's what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping that people will see that and say, hey, that's a good idea. I love that. I need that. I'm going to help. And it's now starting, we're in our third building season and it's starting to gain momentum. It's super exciting. So we're learning as we go. It's not perfect. None of us are perfect. We all have problems. Um, but we give each other the grace to get through those problems. Um, if you're willing to heal and if you're willing to work together, um, then we will be there right beside you, so to speak. Um, but we're, we're building out capacity. So right now I have more people than I can actually house and people were uh, living in um, very close proximity. And I wanted each person to have their own place, especially with COVID, you know, trying to, um, you know, minimize spread and that kind of stuff. But um, we've got four veterans up there, two civilians. We let civilians come and stay as well um, because I don't know if you know any veterans who hate civilians, but I do. And um, it's like those two conversations that I overheard in the airport. And then another conversation where there was this guy and he was just yelling at the Starbucks barista. I mean, just chewing her out for putting whole milk instead of the soy latte or whatever that he wanted. And I was like, dude, give her a break. Like, holy sh you, I mean, you didn't need to take it to that level and that makes veterans want to just be alone and be in the woods away from society 
But if you have quality civilians and you remind them that, hey, these people are awesome and they're helping us, it's almost like it builds the bridge that veterans can go back into society. Because if you hate something, if you despise something, are you ever going to want to become it? No. You are going to be as far away from it as you can possibly get. So yes, being out in the woods for 20 years, great, awesome. What did it do for you? What did it do for society? You're still stuck in the place that you haven't healed from. Um, and so these civilians are amazing and it's building the bridge for veterans to go back into society eventually um, with support not necessarily financial support but you know friendships and, and at the same time it gives civilians a way to give back because if you think about it if you had a dad who was in the military or a grandfather and you wanted to honor him how could you like could you write a letter to a soldier? Could you, you know, a soldier to the angels? Could you send a care package that's anonymous? Yes, but there's no personal connection, really. What can, you know, you got 22 push-up challenges. Hey, we've got 22 veterans killing themselves. What does that do? Yes, awareness, great, we're all aware. Now what? How can we help? Veterans Off Grid gives that place where a civilian can plug in and say, hey, I'm going to be here for a week. I want to take a vacation in three of the days. I want to come and help. Great. Awesome. Come out, explore the desert and explore the Rio Grande Gorge and the awesome things around the 1.5 million acres of wilderness and be around these veterans and help them build their homes. And it's an actual way to get your hands dirty and, and help veterans get better. Um, so we're given a place for both civilians and veterans to be involved with one another, um, to interact. And it serves, it serves purposes in both segments of population. And I think that's, that's smart because it is really easy to kind of get into a bubble if it was just, you know, a, a homogeneous type uh, society that you have, um, you know, even with our documentary, the veterans that we've known for years now, and they'll still tell us like, oh man, I, d I can't talk to civilians. I'm like, we've talked multiple times. They're like, yeah, but you, you guys don't count. I'm like, no. <laughs> stop. That's a cop out. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, uh, Dustin, how are you doing? I'm um, great, man. Ryan, I, I love what you're doing out there, man. I think it's, uh, I've seen, I mean, uh, living in the town right next to, you know, where you're, where you're setting up, it's everybody I've talked to in the last year, I think, you know, we hooked up this interview because three of my friends have been recommending that, that we talk. And so, uh, yeah, I think, I think you're doing good things, man. Everybody, awesome. everybody I trust is saying good things. So yeah. Cool. Good job. Although yeah, maybe, maybe not for the last, uh, the two years before that. Right. <laughs> Uh, did you know, have all, the right time right <laughs> it's hard in a small town because you know as you know taos has a very long and proud history yeah. uh, you know of, of i mean five hundred thousand, no, thousand year history that that's written um so when i come in trying to help people you know, there's a lot of people who come to Taos and they just talk, 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 talk. 
Yeah. And so there's this natural filter that says, ah, when he's here for 20 years, then I'll get involved, you know, but, yeah. uh, so it's been a, it's been tough. It's probably the hardest place I could have ever picked to start. Um, we are near the Earthship Academy. There is a lot of sustainable builders who are here, which is awesome because we have a wealth of knowledge, um, to explore and experiment with different kinds of housing types. Um, but from a logistical sense, it's very difficult to raise awareness um, when the, the county is 45,000, I think, 45,000 yeah. for 2,200 square miles. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's huge. That's yeah, big. Uh, Northern New Mexico, man. It's <laughs> but it's beautiful and it's awesome. And I wanted to, to place Veterans Off Grid close enough to civilian or uh, civilization, I should say. So we're about a 30 minute drive away from Taos, which is just close enough where people can still be involved, but not too far away where people feel like, oh God, like yeah. it's two hours away just to talk to, just to go get a coffee. You know, that, that would be way, way too remote. Um, so it's kind of, kind of this Goldilocks zone, the best of both worlds. You, you could come to Seattle and just set up your own country right in the middle of the city. Thought about it right next door to the, to the, to the new country. <laughs> so. Oh man. I hope you last longer than a weekend. Um, no, I made it like three weeks. <laughs> so, um, looking at it now, if you could go back to whether you came home from your first deployment or from your second deployment, knowing what you know now, what would you tell that, that veteran returning home? What would you tell yourself now to kind of help spur you along? So if I understand the question correctly, knowing what I know now, what would I tell the Ryan before his deployment? Or no, coming home, like, Step oh, coming so right step after coming home. home. Yeah. yeah, I think I probably would have started before. Mm. Um, I love this organization called Mission Continues, and because when when soldiers come home, they have a large footprints in which veterans can get together and they can serve because that's an integral component to our mental health. I think recommending that veterans, one, get some exercise, two, eat healthy, but also go out and try to find a place to volunteer your time become an Uber driver when you can't sleep uh, or a Lyft driver, they pay like crap. But um, when you can't sleep, you turn on your app and you go and you've got people around you. Um, that helped me a lot when I came back my second time. Find something that you're passionate about, some problem the world has and, and seek to solve it. Um, you know, become Try to network with other veterans because they're your best 
support group. Um, immediately register with the VA and try to get in instead of waiting um, because that, that is a terrible time. Um, by the time you realize you're in trouble, a lot of times you're already drowning. So the, the more paperwork that you can get out of the way and the wait time, um, it'll set you up for more success. Get out in nature. Nature is, is very healing and we are right on the edge of the national forest and our veterans love just to take walks, run out there, bike rides, um, motorcycles, whatever, just go out in nature. Um, but I, I would say the, the biggest advice overall, and I'll just hit it again, is, is find something that you're passionate about. Ask yourself that question. If you had no bills, what would you do to live your highest and best life? and then actively try to get that however you can, whether it's go back to school or, um, you know, take a, you know, an internship in whatever field that you want to be in um, or, or find people who are already doing it uh, and stay out of debt for sure. Cause that is uh, that is a slippery slope. Yeah. I mean, that's why I left, the government it was not an easy decision i was a gs13 you know it's not an easy salary to walk away from but it was i had other things that i thought would make me happier and that i missed the salary that's for sure no no and i understand exactly because i had a choice to make when i came back from my contract getting cut i could have found another company i have a top secret clearance right it's easy um, and I could have just jumped um, right back into theater, making great money. But then I'm just a cog in a machine. What am I actually doing? That, that's literally. I felt, I felt like with the idea that I had that came to me, I felt like I could help so many more people and make so much more of a difference. I haven't been paid in four years. Our nonprofit doesn't pay us. Um, I did that on purpose. Um, I want all the money from the donors to go into building, go into support services uh, for these veterans. So, um, like I gave up <laughs> a lot to do this, but it's my passion. And it has made such a difference in my life because I'm, I'm creating something that will outlast me. And it's what I'm passionate about. I mean, veterans are, um, I am one. And I know there's a lot of people who were like me and they have no idea what's out there. They have no idea how to get help. Um, and so if we can shine a big spotlight on that, then I'm doing my job. And you almost verbatim just recited what I talked to my wife about when I left. I mean, my dad had died suddenly, like here one day, had dinner with him, and then he was dead the next day type of thing. And that hit me just right in the face of 
I literally was a cog in a machine. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, then, you know, they'd be like, oh my God, Merlino's gone. And then assign someone to my team in my office and the machine goes on. And I'd rather take less money to do something that will live on and, you know, our movies and will live on beyond us. And, and I'm fine with that. Absolutely fine with that. My friend I met in Afghanistan, his name's Brandon, and he posted on Facebook the other day and it was so um, inspiring and prescient. Um, he said, uh, if I die today, what regrets do I have? And he asked himself that question uh, when Iran was bombing, um, sending missiles over and he was being hit. Um, and he was like, I thought I was gonna die for sure. And so he asked himself that question. He said, what regrets do I have? I died today. And so he immediately took that thought pattern and, and he course corrected his life on whatever his answer was. And he made it his highest priority to fix and to replace those regrets um, so that he could, anytime he died, he would die in peace. Whenever that may be, hopefully he lives a very, very long life because he's an amazing person. But uh, that spoke to me because like, you know, what regrets do you have? You know, don't live with regrets, fix them. And make that, make that your priority um, because we are not promised another day. You know, it, could, it may not be a missile, it could be a heart attack. Yep. Well, and that's, you know, going the, the wake and all the friends coming over and, and being at my dad's funeral and listening to what everyone said about him. And I thought, geez, if I, if I died today, like what would people say about me at my funeral? And like, I, I'm assuming it'd be nice, but what, <laughs> what is it that they would say? And is that what I would want them to say? And I wasn't sure at that point if it was. So I look at it, like what would people say? And have I done enough to make people want to say that. So um, it is a profoundly life changing, I mean, obviously life changing. I quit my job. <laughs> yeah. That's a big leap. It's a big yeah. leap, I think, for sure. So, and, and you know, I've talked to people because in this industry, people are like, oh, you have to have a lot of luck to make it. And like, it's true, you do. You know, I'd rather be lucky than good. Um, but it did strike me many years later that you make your own luck. You definitely make your own luck. And part of that goes back to a day I was in my 30s and I tore up my shoulder in training. I didn't feel lucky that day. In fact, I remember kind of breaking down because I'd torn up my other shoulder in high school and I was like, geez, I'm in my 30s, blown out both shoulders, couldn't compete, complete, you know, PT today. And it was just, I broke down. But that shoulder caused friction with the government that eventually made me leave which landed me in a directing class a couple weeks later you know all the all this chain of events that happened in our movie career can be traced down to blowing out my shoulder and I didn't think that was a lucky day but you know you've got to people look for that massive life-changing thing and they keep looking and looking and looking and if you look back there's markers along the way and just kind of keep living your day and Dustin's been along for a lot of that ride, and he can probably. Well, what do you think? <laughs> I've been busy having my own ride, man. I really noticed what you're doing. 
No, it's, it's, I think, I think you're right. I think those, um, those life markers are, uh, they're a lot easier to see in retrospect in the moment, you know, uh, you know, I think you guys really touched on a thing that I've had as my ethos since as long as you've known me, Dave, which is, you know, life's free, but it isn't guaranteed. And so, you know, what's, what's your next, what's your next move? What's the next thing you're going to do? Um, I think living without regrets is a, I think that's a big deal, man. Um, I think it's, it's harder than, I think it's harder than, than most people think it is. Uh, but it's also way easier than, you know, I think, I think a lot of people I talk to get stuck on where, you know, how do I, how do I get back from these things that are, that I'm scared of or that, that I have regrets about. And, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot easier than you think, man. It's, it's a phone call. It's a, it's a couple of actions. It's doing the things you wanted to do in the first place. It's, it's, and the more you do it, the better you get at it. So, yeah. Well, I was, I was uh, talking up a college uh, two years ago now, uh, just talking about career and, and, and talking to the film program. One of the girls asked me like, well, do you have any regrets in your career? And in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, there's several, but I couldn't think of any of them. I just couldn't think of any of them because I just, you know, yeah, they, they happen and I tell my kids, they're like, well, what happens when you fail? And I, and I joke and I said, well, Dustin, I never fail. <laughs> How do you never fail? I'm like, because we always recalibrate what success is. You know? <laughs> and, and it's a joke with my daughters, but it is, it's like, it's all how you look at it. It's like, okay, we wanted to make this thing, but Hey, look at these other things that we did and mm-hmm. then, and just keep recalibrating. Um, it's, it's such an important thing, I think, for everyone um, to, to kind of get back there. And winning seasons are built on losses, man. Once you, once you, see, once you see that you're, you're not doing the thing you want to do, but like what, I don't know, what in, the, what, what in the shit sandwich is good, right? Like where, where, is the, where is the good piece? And then just build off that. And I always feel like that's, that's some, I don't know, I think that's, I think that's one of the things that, is so intrinsic in you and me, Dave. I think that's probably why we're friends. <laughs> yeah, you're okay. <laughs> so, but in terms of like you're saying with with veterans, um, looking at it that way, and and just kind of being able to take those those small steps. Um, you know, I have when when veterans do when you talk to them and say, "What would you do if you didn't have to pay bills?" and like I said, "Don't answer me." right now like really really think on this um do you see them taking those steps like long long term like in terms of that path or is it more of a a clearing a cleansing thing to be able to move on how do you see that path sure um it happens over time so uh, i think each person is different. We're all different people. We all have different filters. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different traumas that have gone through life, whether you're in the military or not. And you see the world in a different way. Um, so that's going to affect um, how someone approaches that question. I mean, if, if that person wants to be a musician but doesn't know how to play any instruments, first he has to pick up an instrument, right? Um, so, there's various, I mean, you come from various starting positions too. You know, you might've owned a company before and now all of a sudden you want to do a new company um, because you've, you've 
found what you want to do and, and how you want to impact the world. But you at least have a base knowledge of how to run a company. And that's going to differ from someone who maybe was in supply or, or um, whatever. And they still have the same idea, but they're in different starting places. So we try to work. It's not like every person is a Ford truck. You just replace the engine, you replace the right. brakes, you replace whatever, and boom, you've got a working truck. Humans aren't like that. You can't just replace the brain. You can't replace, um, you know, whatever triggers they, they have. So each approach to each person is different. Um, what's going to work for one person isn't going to work for another. And it's, it's very frustrating, to be honest with you, um, because it would be much more simple if you could just replace parts and then send them on their way. It doesn't work like that. And I think that when we get back, um, we don't recognize it, we don't realize it, but our ripples destroy people around us. The things that we are struggling with um, affect those we love the most. So what I like to think is that at Veterans Off Grid, we take those destructive ripples in a pond that are rippling in a bad way, and then we minimize it to zero so that they're feeling normal. Now they can start working on, hey, how do I make that ripple, this ripple of positivity that goes throughout the world in whatever way their, their talents and their gifts dictate. Um, and I think that, well, actually this house that I'm in right now was owned by a potter and his dad uh, was a Vietnam vet. And when he was 11, not his dad, when the owner of this house was 11, he wrote a poem titled My Personal Vietnam. He had never been to Vietnam. He was 11. But the ripples affected him in such a negative way that he wrote a poem about it when he was 11. So how do we be self-aware enough to pull those ripples in, quiet them, and then redirect them into something positive. And I know I've hurt people when I came back because I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, and I was flailing. And the thing that I used to quiet my mind was the TV, as I mentioned before. So 7 in the morning to 11, I was watching the news. Well, you know what news does to you. I mean, it makes you depressed. So... Um, Eight months of that, highly don't recommend it. Um, but others, they turn to alcohol. Others turn to drugs. What are they trying to forget? What are they trying to self-medicate from? If you're in a tornado, you're in a hurricane, you're not worried about soccer practice next week. You're not worried about dinner tonight. You're worried about survival. And a lot of veterans are in that place of survival. Um, and they don't necessarily know how to survive. And it's frustrating because you're a grown person. Um, you shouldn't be having these problems. And so you get some condemnation in there as well. And so to, to numb yourself or to avoid thinking about it, you just go to substance abuse or just, I, I call it self-distraction. 
whatever self-destruction method is different from each person and their backgrounds. That is what they turn to. Um, so if you can get them in a place where it's normal and sunny outside, there's no tornadoes, there's no hurricanes coming. Oh, wow. Um, now I can focus on actually healing from any of the traumas or self um, diagnosing. Why am I like this? Why do I have these desires to do this? Uh, what am I running away from? Uh, and then you can take steps, massage therapy, acupuncture, um, crystals, Reiki, um, uh, oh, um, hyperbaric chambers, like all these different things that are designed to help. It may not work on one person, but it may be the thing they need for the next. Um, and so you kind of experiment and, and, and try to come back to a place in which you feel great, you're around great people, you're impacting the world in a positive way. And that is gonna start to spiral up. And you're building your own house and you're having your friends over and you're being like, I built this with you, man. It's, thank you for, you know, for helping me. And, and, uh, and your pride is, is up. I mean, can you imagine being a veteran doing all of that stuff, going through whatever courses you had to go through, basic training, AIT, SEER school, whatever, whatever you went and you saw all kinds of things. No one, when they enter the military says, I want to stand by the road with a sign. Mm. That is my goal in life. I can't wait to get out on the street corner with a sign saying I'm homeless. Homeless vet, help me. Yeah. No one says it. So how, when they get there, their pride has been destroyed. How do you get that pride back up? And that's through building, through building your own dreams, your reality, your home, and, uh, and building it with your friends. Um, that are there for you no matter what, just like we were in the military. And that's, that's another thing that when I came back, like I came to talk to my neighbor and I was like, Hey man, how's the neighborhood? Like I've been gone in Afghanistan and uh, everything going good. And he walked inside and I was like, what, what did that mean? Like I was just confused and you don't have that. When I was in Afghanistan, I could have been deployed with a team or a, we didn't, well, we wouldn't even have known each other, but because we were wearing the uniform, even if I died, they would still risk their life to get my body because they would expect the same of me because our loved one just deserves something to mourn. Um, and that's a hundred percent commitment. When you come here to the United States, I'm not saying it's bad. It's an individualistic society for the most part. It's just different and it's, it makes you feel like an alien in your own country. Um, that's the best way to describe it. When I came back from Afghanistan, I felt like an alien. Nothing made sense. Thoughts crossed my mind when I heard superficial conversations and, oh God, traffic was so bad today. I was late three minutes and, oh, ruined my day. Oh, did it. Let me tell you about my day in Afghanistan. When I found out somebody who took my place 
it's no longer alive. You know, like that ruined my day. You know, other people have way worse stories than me. But you find yourself asking yourself, did I risk my life? Did my friends die for this? For this level of superficiality? And that's what makes veterans angry. And um, uh, they just, they just want to be alone. Um, but alone is not healthy um, most of the time. And so that's, you know, again, why we're living in community and helping each other uh, with all the layers that will passively heal veterans. And we're learning all the time. Like um, one of the ideas that just came about is what if veterans, um, you know, that had displayed that they could stay around for six months or more could then adopt a rescue animal. Mm. Cool. And now they're rescuing something. Their life has purpose. They have that unconditional love from that animal. That's um, a nice step forward. You know, it also provides us a societal uh, answer to a problem. You know, we have to euthanize dogs. We have to euthanize cats because there's too many that are in shelters. So you're, you're taking a, a veteran who had trouble and, and pairing them with an animal who was, you know, in a death sentence. And now they're pals for life, you know? Um, so that also has a passive effect of helping that veteran um, spiral up, not down. Yeah, but I mean, there's been very successful programs, even looking at, you know, in the prison system of, of letting uh, prisoners work with animals and, and the therapeutic and, and rehabilitative effect of it. I mean, I'll agree with a lot of my friends. We don't deserve dogs sometimes. Cats can be cool too. But. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, cats don't last very long in the Mesa. There's coyotes and hawks and stuff. So I try to I try to dissuade veterans. I mean, they love cats, but I try to dissuade them because you know I don't want to set them up for four months. They have to you know, get another one. And continue. <laughs> yeah, we were doing a cross country time trial yesterday. Um, with COVID, it's very informal like there's no city championship but we're trying to do a virtual team so brought daughters and their friend out around the course and so one of my daughters like oh and i saw a coyote out on the trail and i was like geez i thought that would have made you run faster <laughs> <laughs> she's like no Maybe it was cool or cat or a cheetah yeah <laughs> so uh one last question i always like to ask we, we've talked about it from the the veteran side um but from the side of of the family uh, friends and family what could they oh, oh that doesn't script audio drop my microphone uh, <laughs> i don't want to say what could they do how could they benefit uh both themselves and veterans like what what steps could they take to help you know, start that spiral up instead of down? That's a tough question. Um, well, you know, one, be there for them, you know, make sure they're communicating. Um, and, you know, letting the veteran know that no matter what, 
um, that they're there for him. And, you know, whenever, you know, I would say not make them talk, don't ask them if they killed anybody, you know, um, how many of the bad guys did you get? You know, questions like that. I got in my Uber ride quite a bit. Um, and I educated people and I was like, well, I'm not offended by that, but just not a question you want to ask people. Um, because people are running from their own demons. Uh, when you experience war and loss of life or mistakes that got people killed or whatever, um, You know, from a from a family standpoint, you know, I'm probably not the best one to ask. But I know my parents were there for me. I know my brother was there for me. That helped. But I needed to go through um, my own process of healing, and I just didn't know how to do it. Um, read books. Uh, there's a good book called Tribe. Um, I don't even know the author. Um, I haven't read it. People have recommended it to me and they're like, have you read Tribe? And I'm like, no. And they're like, you're doing it. And I'm like, am I? <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, read books that from family members or from veterans themselves so you understand what's happening inside. Um, because one thing that I ask family members who have veterans friends or family like did they come back different did they deploy did they come back different and i would say 80 to 85 percent said yes they came back different so the the challenge is how do we bring them how do we get them back to who they used to be um, and that's something that i'm working on locally we eventually want to have 50 of these, one in every state. So that way veterans can move around um, and families can be involved. Take a trip out to Veterans Off Grid in Taos, New Mexico with the veteran and say, hey, there's this really cool place and go as a family or mention it to them and see if they'd love to go. Um, we let people camp on the land for free. If we have lodging, we'll let them stay in the lodging. Uh, but, you know, like I said, we're pretty expeditionary. Um, best months to come, probably May and September, as far as temperature-wise, those are really great months to come and beautiful. Uh, right now, we've got the aspens changing color, and it's it's amazing. Um, but they're welcome anytime. Winter is too harsh to tent out here. Yeah, unless you're a glutton for punishment. And that kind of stuff. But they're more than welcome. They're more than welcome to find out, though. <laughs> right on. Dustin, any, any last? Uh, that's, that's, that's all. Those are all my questions, Ryan. Thanks for hanging out with us, man. Yeah, uh, thank you. Do you, you do you have anything you want to say or anything you want to ask yet? Um, probably how people can help. Um, we've got probably 30 to 40 people across the nation helping on different things. If you have a gift, that you want to give, whether you're a graphic designer, a webmaster, um, a fundraiser, a grant writer, I mean, anything that you have um, 
a love for and a passion for and you're good at, please reach out and say, hey, you know, I want to help your mission and this is what I'm good at. And we'll try to figure out um, how it works. Um, feel free to come out, take a tour. Um, it's a pretty amazing place. We teach for free. If you've ever wanted to build a home, if you've ever wanted to build with natural materials, off grid, any of that kind of stuff, you're going to learn a ton out here. Um, we even have a partnership with UNM Taos where we have a course that's four months long that teaches you how to build a house from start to finish. You can always volunteer on, on site for free, um, but the course is more structured and you're going to get way more for your money um, in the course. And, you know, we would love to have any of your viewers come out and help, whether it's financially, whether it's, um, you know, hands-on, whether it's mentorship, um, you know, I can only go as fast as people are willing to, to donate their time and capital. Um, and I think it's a, it's a worthy, um, and needed endeavor. We're losing 22 to 24 veterans a day to suicide. We've got homeless veterans around the country and you know the environment is our second mission um, we didn't really touch a lot on the environmental part um, but we're really trying to make the earth a better place and the best way to do it is to have a low impact yourselves and so we teach people how to have a low impact um, on the earth we just planted trees in the mesa uh, last week so we have 30 new trees growing nice. and it's um you know, it's a work in progress, but we're getting a lot of momentum. And we'd love to have anybody, um, anybody who wants to learn or wants to give, we'd love to have them at Veterans Off Grid in Taos. And is the best way to contact you through your website or how could they contact you? To be honest with you, my cell phone is all over my website. So it comes right to my cell phone. Um, and you can email me. Um, it's a little bit slower. Texting is best because of the fact that reception out in New Mexico is a hit or miss. What? Uh, what? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's hard to believe in this day and age, but it's, it's, it's a challenge. Oh. But uh, yeah, they can reach out any of those ways. All right. And that's at veteransoffgrid.org. Yeah. All right. And Dust and I have been saying we've got to get better on our sign off. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, An yeah. old Bill Burr joke. We got to get better. Got to get, got to get it right. Got to get it gotta right. Get it right. Uh, thank you to our audience for listening today. Thank you to Ryan for being with us. Uh, if you like what you hear, um, whatever podcast channel you are listening on, we're up on many now: Stitcher, Podbean, Apple, uh, Spotify. Um, I keep getting. Uh, uh, I'm sorry if I've forgotten others, but uh, give us a like. Give us a rating. Tell your friends, uh, and we put these out every Monday. Um, thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Know Their Story podcast. If you made it this far, we must be doing something right. Let us know by subscribing to our channel. And think about sitting down with the veterans in your life, because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation, not the end.